Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundClouds and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. And now on to the talking news. Remembering Lydia Ogilby by Joanna K. Zavallis. Lydia Ogilby, a longtime Belmont resident and active community member, passed away peacefully at her home on November the 1st. She was 98. Her 11-year-old poodle, Dala, never left her side. Ogilby uh, moved to Belmont in 1926. Her mother, Grace Richardson Philpin, inherited Richardson Farm, currently leased by Belmont Acres Farm, in 1923. Ogilby uh, grew up on the farm in the Joseph Bright House on Washington Street, which became a historic district in 2013. It was very important to Ogilby that the land would always be for farming, which is why in 2003 she put an agricultural preservation restriction on the land with the Belmont Land Trust and the American Farmland Trust. Ogilby's uh, involvement with the town includes membership on the Capital Budget Committee, past chairman of the Historic District Commission, and service as a town meeting member. She was also one of the first students to attend the Mary Lee Burbank Elementary School. She was also a member of the Belmont Garden Club and the Belmont Women's Club. One of Ogilby's greatest loves in life was teaching. She owned her own nursery school in East Boston called Mums and Tots, which is now a model preschool for UMass Boston. She got her master's in social work from Boston University, and also worked as a clinical social worker. She lost her husband, John, at a very young age and brought up uh, four young children on her own. She leaves behind her son, Henry, of Belmont, Dr. John David of Wayne, Pennsylvania, Clement of Portland, Oregon, and Lydia Usden of uh, South Paris, Maine. She also leaves behind nine grandchildren and four great-grandchildren. In a past interview with the Citizen Herald, uh, Ogilby describes herself as honest and outspoken at times. She truly loved Belmont and called it an oasis in the wilderness. Anne Marie Mahoney, a former select board member, capital budget committee chairman, and chairman of the Police and Public Works Building Committee, said there will never be another Lydia. Her whole life was uh, Belmont. Everything she did was for the good of Belmont. She was forthright, caring, honest, and stalwart, said Mahoney. Select Board Vice Chairman uh, Adam Dash said Ogilby was a true Belmont icon. Her work for open space and historic preservation, as well as her dedication to town meeting, will sorely be missed, he said. Ogilby's service to Belmont was large. There were her, she was a town meeting member for 53 years, spanning from 1963 to 2019, with a couple of interruptions. She was the Capital Budget Committee from 1970 to 1996, Solid Waste Disposal Study Committee, and Solid Waste Disposal Advisory Committee from 1974 to 1985, 
Historic District Commission from 1978 to 2012, when she became Emeritus Member to 2019. Uh, Library Site Planning Committee, 2005. The 125th Jubilee Committee, 1983 to 1984. And Republican Town Committee in 1988. And now over to my colleague, Claire. Thank you, Bob. Town gets first application for a pot shop. Cal Verde Naturals wants to set up at Pleasant Street by Joanna K. Zavellas. Belmont may be getting its first adult-use retail marijuana establishment on Pleasant Street. Town Administrator Patrice Garvin received a notice from the lawyer represented Cal Verde Naturals, LLC, which will be applying for a license and special permit for the town to open a store at 1010 Pleasant Street. The state approved the application for a license for Cal Verde Naturals on March 25th. The principals are Kelly and Stephen Tomasello of Winchester. Kelly, president and CEO of Cal Verde Naturals, LLC, is a native of Southern California and has spent most of her professional life in customer service and hospitality working in both the clothing and restaurant industries. Steve is originally from Reading and has worked for Atlantic Retail Properties as a retail real estate broker. Both Kelly and Steve became interested in holistic and alternative medicine from personal experiences. Steve's father was diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. Their son Lucas was diagnosed with special needs in 2015, which led them to search for non-traditional treatments such as acupuncture, massage, and craniosacral therapy to heal their son's symptoms. Cal Verde's chief of security, Michael Allen, is currently the manager of Armstrong Security and served as chief of police in Rochester, New Hampshire, where he retired after 30 years of service. Cal Verde is signed a lease with Belmont Crossroads Realty Trust on July 1st for five years. In the executive summary submitted with the letter to Garvin, it states, Cal Verde Naturals' mission is to create a safe and clean community environment and to provide consistent high-quality cannabis and cannabis products to consumers who are 25 years of age or older at its proposed adult-use retail marijuana establishment located at 1010 Pleasant Street in Belmont. In their proposed term sheet for a host community agreement with the town, Calverde proposes payment of a community fee in the amount of 3% of the annual gross revenues in the town from its Belmont retail marijuana establishment. According to attorney Joseph Noon of Avery Noon, Dooley and Noon, who is representing Calverde Naturals, they will be engaging a traffic engineering firm to conduct a traffic analysis for the proposal site. Prior to opening, Calverde will need approval of a special permit from the planning board. Public hearings will be scheduled and the dates will be announced. The host community agreement will also need to be approved by the select board prior to the store opening. Now, over to Max. Thank you, Claire. A new Veterans Memorial by Joanna Cates of Ellis. People of all ages from near and far gathered together under the sunny, crisp skies among falling leaves overlooking Clay Pit Pond for the official ribbon cutting and dedication of the town's new Veterans Memorial. 
The new memorial was a project four years in the making, according to Veterans Memorial Committee President Angelo Ferenze. With engraved black granite stones, it recognizes and honors all of Belmont's veterans in all wars in one central location, from the Civil War through the War on Terrorism. There is even an area of stone which has been left blank for future conflicts. Belmont resident Pamela Curtis, mother of specialist Jonathan M. Curtis, a Belmont resident killed in the war in Afghanistan, helped cut the ribbon in the ceremony for the new memorial. Curtis is very pleased with the memorial. She says she often walks around the pond and it gives her a location to visit her son, John. He's not buried here. He's buried in Knoxville. I don't have anywhere to visit locally. This will be great. I'm glad it got done, she said. The $300,000 project was funded through a $100,000 grant from the Belmont Savings Bank Foundation, as well as $103,000 from community preservation funds and other sponsors, including former selectman Ralph Jones and the McVeigh family. Close to 400 bricks and several benches were purchased from donors honoring family members. Athena McInnes purchased bricks in memory of her husband, Greg George McInnes, who served in the U.S. Navy, and her brother, Alexander Ifantis, who served in the U.S. Air Force. She also purchased a third brick for a friend she went to school with, Herbie Winters. I think it's wonderful to have all the names of the ones that didn't come back from the war and the wonderful bricks we could buy in memory of our loved ones or people who are still living. I think it's a nice thing for Belmont, and I hope people come down and look at it because it's lovely, said McInnes. Prior to the ceremony, there was a parade from the World War I Memorial at the Belmont Lions Club to Clay Pit Pond with music played by the Boston Fire Department Pipe Band and Drums and the Irish-American Police Officers Pipes and Drums. In his address to the crowd, Select Board Vice Chairman Adam Dash talked about the purpose of the memorial, to remember. Those veterans whose names are carved in granite and brick live here at Clay Pond live when we speak their names when we sit and contemplate their sacrifice in their tranquil setting, and when we speak of their service out loud as we are doing today. All of the names on this memorial live today because we are remembering them here right now, said Dash. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. <clears throat> Women's novice uh, crew team wins the state championship. The Arlington Belmont crew team brought home four medals and a championship trophy from this weekend's Massachusetts Public School Rowing Association's Fall Championship Regatta in Lowell. The women's novice eight team dominated their races, winning gold in both the women's novice 8A and B races, giving them enough points uh, in the team competition to win first place in the women's novice category. Rowers competed in a heavy rain and cold on, on October the 27th, and the race was shortened from five kilometers to four as a safety precaution. I'm so proud of my rowers, said novice girls coach uh, Joanna Coombs. They worked hard all season and kept it together today under really difficult conditions. The women's novice A boat also overcame technical difficulties on its way to victory. As the athletes rowed to the start of the race, their cox box, which is the microphone used by the coxswain, to communicate with rowers began cutting out. When we started the race, the Cox boat, uh, 
Cox box uh, completely died, said Cox and uh, Grace Ferguson, a sophomore at Arlington High School. So I was shouting as loud as I could, and I was really uh, hoping everyone remembered the pep talk I gave them before the race. Uh, Arlington High School sophomore Leah Martin, who rode in the bow seat, which is the furthest away from the coxswain, said she could totally hear Grace. She was really loud, said Martin, who, as bow seat, is responsible for keeping the boat stable and balanced. With Ferguson shouting at them through the rain and the rowers jumping out to a fast start, as they closed the distance on uh, Duxbury Bay Maritime School, which was seated in front of uh, Arlington Belmont and, st- and started about 15 seconds ahead, Ferguson's called for a power 10, which consists of 10 strokes at maximum power. The increase in speed was enough to pass Duxbury. The concentrated effort also kept the rowers in unison, which prevented them from catching a crab. When they passed Duxbury, said Arlington High School sophomore Lillian Fort, uh, Fournay, referring to what happens when a rower loses control of her oar by putting it in the water at a bad angle or out of sync with the rest of her teammates. Ferguson called for a second power 10 late in the race to get the athletes focused again and called for a final power 10 to get them over the finish line in first place. The full Arlington Belmont team placed sixth overall out of 15 public schools, uh, school clubs uh, participating in the regatta, which has been held every year since 2001, except in 2011, when it was canceled due to an early snowstorm. And now on to my colleague, Claire. Thank you, Bob. Out of the recital to be held at Payson Park Church, award-winning classical musicians Joshua Peckins, violin, and Eliko Ekahori, piano, will perform a recital at 3 p.m. November 17 at the Payson Park Church in Belmont, 365 Belmont Street. The recital will feature the final sonatas ever written by Beethoven and Brahms, as well as Bach's Chacon. This continues the Art of the Recital concert series, launched in 2016 by Peckins, which brings live concerts to Belmont and surrounding communities. Peckins has presented solo recitals nationally and internationally in over 30 venues, including the Figaro Hall of Palace, Palfley, Crystal Hall in Japan, Hayden and Mendelssohn Halls in Austria, as well as on the Artist Series of the Blood Festival in Slovenia, the Salzburg Festival at the Mozarteum, the Orford Festival in Canada, and the Servo Festival in Italy. Akahori is also an award-winning concert musician who has performed around the world and is the director of the music department at Wellesley College. The November 17 recital will feature masterpieces by Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, and Mozart. Tickets are $22. Now, here's Max. Thank you. Thank you, Claire. Face Recognition and Biometric Surveillance, an editorial by State Representative Dave Rogers. In recent years, there have been growing concerns about how we balance the need for enhanced security to keep communities safe, while at the same time protecting privacy and freedom. 
Americans are becoming increasingly worried about how developing biometric facial technologies intended to screen, identify, and surveil people from a distance may violate the privacy people expect in a free society. In Massachusetts, it has recently come to light that law enforcement has been using this technology for the past few years without legislative approval. While it is understandable why law enforcement sees the value of facial recognition technology, there, are, there is a vast amount of possible inaccuracies and miscalculations that come along with adopting and implementing this technology. Our privacy should be protected, and technologies like this allow our government to track who we are, where we go, what we do, and with whom we choose to associate, which violates our expectation of privacy. Our state law must catch up with this technology. For this reason, I filed H. .1538, an act relative to unregulated face recognition and emerging biometric surveillance technologies. This bill would establish a moratorium on unregulated government use of face recognition and other biometric monitoring technologies. Our state should, quote, press pause, unquote, on the usage of this technology until we identify how to properly regulate and utilize it in our society in a manner that protects citizens' privacy. I worked with the ACLU to craft this legislation. They recently conducted a poll which indicates that 79% of Massachusetts voters, including Democrats, Independents, and Republicans, are in favor of legislation that would establish a moratorium on law enforcement use of face surveillance and other remote biometric tracking technologies in Massachusetts. A moratorium would stop government agencies in Massachusetts from using face, voice, and gait, how an individual walks, recognition until policymakers have identified and agreed upon legislation and or regulations that would protect individual privacy. These regulations are necessary for ensuring this technology does not infringe upon our rights and civil liberties. The New York Times recently broke a story about how biometric technology is being used by federal immigration authorities. They use it to scan state driver's license databases, including the photos and records of citizens who are not suspected of any civil or criminal violation. Needless to say, it is another reminder that we need to have much more precise guidelines on when and how this the use of this technology is permissible. This system leaves room for both human and technological errors, which can lead to wrongful incarcerations, unwarranted police stops, and diverted travel plans. Approximately 117 million American adults are already in facial recognition systems operate, operated under law enforcement networks. Disturbingly, the algorithm central to this technology is least accurate when analyzing images of women and people of color. In fact, face surveillance technology is inaccurate when identifying not only women, but specifically women with darker skin tones. Research shows that black women are up to 35% more likely to be mistaken for another individual in the photo system than white men. Additionally, black males have a higher chance of being targeted because of inconsistent representation in mugshot databases. The technology not only has the ability to identify and monitor a person from a digital photo, but also through video and voice tracking. A 2019 survey done by Beacon Research on facial, uh, facial surveillance found that 73% of participants were more concerned than optimistic about potential real-time tracking. 
In the wrong hands, facial recognition provides the government with unprecedented power to target religious and marginalized minorities with little to no effort. It has the ability to instantly identify who you are, with whom you've associated, and even the expression on your face. Not only is this an invasive practice that unfairly profiles people, but it is also a violation of our constitutional rights. We know that these technologies are vastly misused in authoritarian countries such as China. History shows that surveillance technologies have often been used against people of color and immigrants. Recently, the ACLU filed a lawsuit against the Massachusetts Department of Transportation, MassDOT, after MassDOT failed to release information pertaining to how the agency uses and shares state driver's license data for face surveillance purposes. Currently, local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies have access to the MassDOT database of driver's license photos. This is cause for significant concern because the database includes photographs of every person in the state with a state-issued ID. Because we know even the best technology available today can be faulty, this could implicate literally anyone when police submit a photo to MassDOT for identification in the process of conducting an investigation. San Francisco was the first major American city to ban the use of facial technology recognition by the police and other local government agencies. On a local level, Somerville has also passed similar legislation to ban facial facial surveillance technology while using San Francisco as its model, becoming the first community to do so not only in Massachusetts, but on the East Coast. Just recently, Congresswoman Ayanna Presley introduced a bill banning facial recognition from public housing. Facial recognition technology is developing at a fast pace and the law is not keeping up. At a minimum, the moratorium will ease the concerns of civilians and allow our government to conduct the proper research required in order to understand this technology and implement it without encroaching on the privacy and freedom of citizens. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Council on Aging announcements uh, at the Belmont Council on Aging, which is located at 266 Beach Street. Community Teamwork Fuel Assistance Program period that runs from November 1st to April the 30th, 2020. The fuel assistance can pay part of your winter heating bills. You can rent uh, and or even own your home. If your heat is included in your rent, you may also qualify. If eligible, please call our front desk at 617-993-2970 and ask to speak with our social work, uh, social work interns, Emerson, Tiana, or volunteer coordinator, Marie Poor. Uh, Also, the Medicare open enrollment period, uh, which runs from October the 15th till December the 7th of uh, 2019, Medicare plans change every year. This is the time to decide your coverage for 2020. Call 617-993-2970 for appointments. Please bring your Medicare card, your current insurance cards, and information and list of current medications with the dosages. And now on to Claire. Thanks, Bob. NWASR celebrates grand opening. 
by Joanna Casavellis. The National Association for Armenian Studies and Research held the grand opening and ribbon-cutting of its new state-of-the-art global headquarters, named after Vartan Gregorian, president of the Philanthropic Foundation Carnegie Corporation of New York, on November 1st. The new building's official name is the NAASR Vartan Gregorian Building, fulfilling the request of the building's principal benefactors, Edward and Pamela Avedesian of Lexington. A large crowd gathered outside 395 Concord Ave for the event, which featured the unveiling of a site-specific sculpture donated by world-renowned Armenian-American artist Michael Aram. His sculpture is an interpretation of a traditional Armenian symbol of eternity, or Aravakach. To date, NAASR has financial commitments for $6.2 million of the $7 million project. We are sincerely grateful to all of the extremely generous and talented people who made our vision a reality. This building is NAASR's gift to future generations, said NAASR chairman of the board, Yervant Chekjan. The ribbon cutting was followed by tours of the building through many of its public spaces, as well as NAASR's rare book, Madijian Library, one of the top five Armenian libraries open to the public in the diaspora which will house holdings dating to the 1600s and rare periodicals dating to the 1800s, as well as the personal archives of prominent scholars, early Armenian-Americans, and religious leaders. Belmont resident Edward Kazanjan, who served on the NAASR Board of Directors from 1986 to 1992 and is a life member, said, I am so proud of today's diverse and talented board and their outstanding effort in creating this new building, which will meet the physical needs for continuing the great work they and the profession staff do in promoting Armenian studies, research, history, and culture. Massachusetts supported the project with a capital grant from the Mass Cultural Council's Cultural Facilities Fund and mass development of $225,000 awarded in 2017 for installation of an elevator and other accessibility features and fire suppression. Founded in 1955, NAASR is a world leader advancing Armenian studies, connecting scholars of Armenian studies with the public and building community worldwide. Now over to Max. Thanks, Claire. Finding the Belmont Public Library. Phone 617-489-2000. Location 336 Concord Ave, P.O. Box 125. The regular hours are 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Mondays through Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Fridays and Saturdays, and 1 to 5 p.m. Sundays. Museum Pass News. We now have printed home passes for these five area museums, Institute of Contemporary Art, De Cordova Sculpture Park, Einstein's Workshop, John F. Kennedy Museum, and the Plymouth Plantation. When you book these passes online, you will see an option to print or email the pass to yourself for printing later. Don't worry if you don't have email or a printer. You can still come in to the library 
as always, and we will ha be happy to print your reserve pass for you. You can still reserve any of our passes by phone or in person, if you prefer. Please call 617-993-2870 with any questions. We offer all our museum passes to Belmont patrons thanks to the generosity of the Friends of the Belmont Library. Back to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of Local News Happenings Around Belmont.